Well, good evening, everyone. On this Good Friday 2017, here we are in Queens, New York City. For those of you uh, visiting here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life, and absolutely thrilled that you would join us uh, for our service tonight. Uh, if you didn't receive one of these uh, booklets here in the back of uh, the room here, and if you need one, you can raise your hand. One of our ushers will hand you one. You're going to need this because this is the guide for the rest of the night as we go to our prayer centers. I'm going to give a short message here, and then uh, we're going to be released to the different prayer centers around the room, and I'll explain what that is. And we also have some prayer and reflection centers for, for children, kid-friendly, family-friendly centers. I must say up front, however, that uh, there, it's not a drop-off station, all right? Amen. It's not a drop-off station, parents. And so uh, you're there to lead your child in the experience. So don't drop them off and do your own thing. Uh, uh, take them with you through that process. And I'll explain that in a little bit, as well as the other centers that we have around the building. And I want to uh, briefly share a message on this theme uh, of, of things Jesus could have said from the cross, but didn't. Things Jesus could have said from the cross, but didn't. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the crucified one. And Lord, we want to encounter your love and grace in a profound way today. And so open our eyes by your spirit, our ears, our hearts, as we look to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. We are here today in Queens, New York City, 2017, because a Middle Eastern man from a hole in the wall neighborhood died for the sins of the world 2,000 years ago, and died a brutal, inhumane, and shaming death. And in his dying, he offers some of the most powerful words ever uttered. One of the good ways to measure your life in God and anyone's life in God is to take note and examine the words that they say, especially in times of suffering, especially in times of pain. What you say in times of suffering and what you say in times of pain reveal a lot about your life and your life in God. And of all the words that a person uh, will speak, it seems like the last words of a dying person are some of the most important words to pay attention to. Because it seems that in many respects, the last words reveal something about a person that other words and other experiences simply do not. In movies, one of the most dramatic moments and revelatory scenes take place when someone is about to die. And as they're dying, they offer some final words, straining to get their words out. And we pay close attention to that moment. Is there going to be reconciliation between that person and a lover? Are they going to give some information that will help the story move along? We pay close attention to the words of dying people. And on Good Friday, we pay attention to the words of Jesus. We don't just pay attention to what Jesus did on the cross. We pay attention to what Jesus said on the cross. And in these words, we find the good news of the gospel very clearly offered to us. 
If the only account we had of Jesus' life are the seven sayings from the cross, that would be enough to tell us what God is like. If we had none of the other gospels, if we had none of the letters of Paul, if the only thing we had were the sections where Jesus is being crucified and he offers words from that place on the cross, that would be enough to tell us what the gospel is, what God is like, and who Jesus was. Millions upon millions of pages uh, and our people have been impacted by these words. Thousands upon thousands of pages have been written on these words. Countless amounts of people have been influenced by these seven sayings. We're picking up on the central story of Christianity, the crucifixion of the Son of God. Now, in ancient times, the cross wasn't a fashionable symbol like we see it today. As a matter of fact, the cross was reprehensible. The cross was an instrument of torture. It was reserved for the worst of criminals in that Roman society. And it was the Romans' way of saying, if you get out of line, this is what you have coming to you. And so if folks in ancient times would integrate the symbol of the cross in the ways that we do, wearing crosses and what have you, it would be seemed regarded as strange at best and as psychotic at worst. If I can give a modern-day analogy to, to wear a cross in ancient times would be like someone today wearing a symbol of the electric chair on their neck, like wearing the symbol of a noose around their neck in the South, because the cross was one of the most horrific symbols in that day. But when Jesus dies on the cross... It becomes more than just a symbol of torture. The cross and his death transforms and becomes a redemptive symbol. And this is why Paul says some shocking words in ancient times. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's shocking in ancient times. If a black man were to say in the South, may I never boast except in the noose, it would be very strange to hear. But on the cross, although the world couldn't see it, God was at work. On the cross, although Jesus is being crucified, God is active. And when we are on our own cross, experiencing our own pain and our own suffering, God is more active than you think. And so as Jesus speaks these seven words, he's about to die, he offers seven sayings. I want to focus on three of them tonight. And now, to examine what Jesus said is also to appreciate what Jesus didn't say. And I want to just mention three things Jesus could have said from the cross, but didn't. The first thing Jesus could have said from the cross are these words, my God, my God, you are a good, good father. And I love that song. We sing it from time to time here. It's one of my favorite new songs. But I'm glad Jesus didn't say, my God, my God, you are a good, good father. One would think that someone with the faith of Jesus, someone who happens to be the son of God, someone who existed before time was created in eternity in loving union with the father through the spirit, you would imagine this person would say words of great faith at this moment. 
And throughout Jesus' life, throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus would say words like this, as we see in John chapter 16, when he writes to his disciples and says to his disciples, a time is coming and, in fact, has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Throughout his life, Jesus had a profound sense of the presence of God in his life. But on Good Friday, Jesus does not say, my God, my God, you are a good, good father. What Jesus does say, however, is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And quite frankly, I'm relieved that Jesus said this. By Jesus saying these words, he's allowing himself the freedom to be human. And oftentimes we think that to question God is an indication of our faithlessness, our weak faith. But Jesus shows us that it is okay to be human. To be human means that we will have moments of darkness. To be human means that we will have moments of pain. To be human means that we will have moments of loneliness. And far too often, we conceal our pain. We hide our loneliness. We ignore our darkness. But this saying of Jesus helps us to confront our own pain, not with religious jargon and superficial comments, but with a brutal honesty and with a raw emotion. And so good spirituality makes room to confess that God is a good, good father. And good spirituality also makes room to question God's commitment to us. Which one is it? Is it either or? No, it's both and. It's not that God is a good, good father alone. It's also that he gives us permission to question his commitment to us. On the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Good Friday is to give you permission to be human. Two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of lament, psalms of grief, psalms that essentially say, God, where are you? How long? Where you at? And Jesus, in that tradition of the psalms, as he's on the cross, in the worst moment, he refuses to fake it. He refuses to say, I'm blessed and not stressed and well-dressed. He says, my God, my God, why have you? forsaken me. And if Jesus could have the freedom to be human, he gives us the freedom as well to be human, to offer to God in raw honesty and with our clear uh, feelings where we are at. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first thing Jesus could have said. The second thing Jesus could have said are these words. Father, destroy them because they know what they are doing. (laughs) Father, destroy them because they know what they are doing. When Jesus is crucified, it's more than just an unjust act. Not only did Jesus not commit a crime, Jesus never committed a sin. Uh, Many of you uh, saw on the news uh, the story about the Asian doctor who was dragged out of a United Airlines plane this week. And video footage captured the bloody and disoriented man. 
And people on the plane and on the social media were outraged by it, and rightfully so. The man did not commit a crime, but was publicly shamed and hurt by the authorities. And as bad as that was, imagine for a moment the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, the one who opened blind eyes, the one who raised the dead, the one who loved the unlovable, the one who forgave the worst of sinners. If there is anyone who had the right at this moment to to judge the world, it would be Jesus. This sinless Savior, if there's anyone who's being crucified at this moment to say, later for this, Father, destroy them because they know what they are doing. If anyone would be justified at that act, it would be Jesus. But instead of Jesus saying, Father, destroy them because they know what they are doing, Jesus says, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. We are here today because Jesus shows us what God is like and demonstrates how God relates to us. On Good Friday, we are reminded that no matter how deep our sin, God's grace is deeper. On Good Friday, we are reminded no matter how deep our addiction, God's love goes deeper. We celebrate on Good Friday because if it had not been for the mercy of God, none of us would be here today. And so on Good Friday, we are reminded that we are to receive the good gift of forgiveness that Jesus fully offers on the cross by saying, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. And not only did Jesus say this 2,000 years ago, I believe Jesus intercedes for us every single day with these words. The Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he prays for us. He intercedes for us. I imagine in a given day, he has to look at the Father and say, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. And this forgiveness is to be a gift that we simply receive. And it is also to be a gift that we give to others. On Good Friday, we are reminded that to follow Jesus means that we are to receive the gift of forgiveness and to choose the path of forgiving. This past Palm Sunday, many of us, if not all of us, heard of the terrorist attack in Egypt that killed uh, uh, 40 or so of our brothers and sisters. And if you saw the news, you saw the blood splattered in the sanctuary. You saw the disorientation and the pain from the churchgoers. And this past week, I've been holding those brothers and sisters in my heart, and I've been wondering, is anyone going to say anything from Egypt? And earlier today, I came across a sermon that one of the priests gave in Egypt. And he gave a sermon, and the title of the sermon was A Message to Those Who Kill Us. And I thought it was appropriate in light of Jesus' saying, Father, forgive them because they know not what they're doing, to offer a good uh, amount of this sermon to you here. And I want you to pay attention and follow along with me because these are powerful, powerful words. This priest in Egypt says these words, now what will we say to those who kill us. What will we say to them? 
The first thing we will say is thank you very, very much. And you won't believe us when we say it. You know why we thank you? I'll tell you. You won't get it, but please believe us. You gave us to die the same death as Christ. And this is the biggest honor we could have. Christ was crucified, and this is our faith. He died and was slaughtered, and this is our faith. You gave us, and you gave them to die. We thank you because you shortened for us the journey. When someone is headed home to a particular city, he keeps looking at the time. When will I get home? Are we there yet? Can you imagine if in an instant he finds himself on a rocket ship straight to his destination? You shortened the journey. Thank you for shortening the journey. The second part of the message we want to send you is that we love you. And this, unfortunately, you won't understand at all. Maybe you won't believe us when we say we're grateful, but this you won't even understand. Why won't you understand it? Because this, too, is a teaching of our Christ. I want to explain to you about our Christ. I want to tell you about how wonderful he is. See what Christ said, if you love those who love you, you have no profit or reward with me. Even thugs and thieves love those who love them. Any gang loves its members. Even the drug dealers all alike, all like each other and take care of each other, right? But I want to tell you that if you love those who love you, what reward have you? But I say to you, love your enemies. We Christians don't have enemies. We don't have Enemies. Others make enmity with us. The Christian doesn't make enemies because we are commanded to love everyone. And so we love you because this is the teaching of our God that I'm to love you no matter what you do to me. I love you very much. And I want you to say, I want to say one last thing to you. We're praying for you because the one who told us to love you told us to bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. So my instructions from my loving God make it my duty to pray for you. And then he starts talking about ISIS. He says, they are a wretched lot. And because they are wretched, we must pray for them. When someone, But when someone loves God, he won't know except love. We need to pray for them so they can sleep at night. A person who has all this inside of them, how can he sleep comfortably? Can you imagine we are being slaughtered, and the king of peace gives us peace to sleep, and the one who slaughters all night, he can't sleep. We must all pray for them today that God opens their eyes and opens their hearts to his love. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them because they know not what they're doing. Finally, the third thing Jesus could have said but didn't were these words, I am finished. Although he's about to die, he doesn't say, I am finished, because Jesus knew that he was just getting started. Jesus knew that resurrection was coming. 
Jesus knew that this was not the end of the story. And instead of saying, I am finished, Jesus says, it is finished. Now, in English, uh, these are three words what Jesus said. In Greek, when Jesus said it, he said one word, and the one word he said was tetelestai. And it's one of those words that are packed, jam-packed with significance. The statement refers to the mission of Jesus that what God had given him, he had completed it, but, it, but the range of meaning is so powerful. And there are many different contexts that that word to telestai is used in. It's used in the context of a carpenter. That after a carpenter or stonemason had completed his work, he would step back to say to telestai. It was used by priests to proclaim the suitability of a sacrifice of an animal for sacrificial use. And so after they would complete the sacrifice, the priest would step back and say, to telestai. This word was used for servants whenever a servant would do what the master had told him to do. He would come back to the master and say, to telestai, what you gave me to do, I completed it. It was used on business documents. Whenever someone would pay something in full, we would have a stamp that says paid in full. In ancient times, they would have the phrase for it, and that phrase was to telestai. And lastly, it was used by Romans, the Roman generals, whenever they would overcome the enemy. To telestai was a shout of victory as they're coming back into their home with the spoils and the captives behind them. They come into the new uh, land and shout the word to telestai. And so when Jesus says to telestai from the cross, it doesn't seem to make any sense. But when you understand what's happening, we see it makes total sense. Because Jesus is the servant that completed the master's task. Jesus is the, the, the carpenter who finished and did a perfect work. Jesus is the one whose blood uh, pays for our sins in full. Jesus is the priest and he is the sacrifice, the one who was fully acceptable to God. And Jesus is our victory, the one who by the cross dies and he, he raises to life and shouts to telestai, overcoming principalities and powers and Satan and sin and death and everything else there, he says to Telestai, he is the victor. He is our victory. And so on the cross, the Romans must have been saying, what is this guy talking about? But when it comes to Good Friday, things don't, uh, are not as they appear. And on the cross, it looks like Jesus is losing. But in all reality, he's obtaining the victory. It is finished. Not I am finished. Because he was just getting started. And that's what we will celebrate on Easter, that he is alive. But in order to get there, he had to go to a cross and pays for our sin in full and shows us what God is like and offers to us the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life and the gift of salvation. And our invitation, very simply, is to receive it. 
It's the simplest thing. He's done all the work. Our job is to receive it. And some of you today, maybe you've never received the forgiveness of God. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. And if that's you, you are in a very terrible place, carrying the burden of your own sin on your shoulders when there is freedom waiting for you. And the simple invitation is to say yes to Jesus, that on his cross, he, he paid for our sin in full, and he shows us what God is like and shows us the depths that God will go to be in relationship with you. And so the gospel and the cross is the, is the contrast to religion. Religion is our way of trying to get to God through our own effort, through our own works. The gospel is God condescending to us, and not just condescending to earth, condescending to death, but raised to life in power. And if you've never said yes to Jesus this Good Friday, I assure you the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. He knows you by name. He's calling you by name. And he's inviting you to simply say yes. And as we say yes to him, we are also invited to take our cross and follow him so that we too can offer life and forgiveness and grace and mercy to a world caught up in a vicious cycle of violence. To tell us die. It is finished. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the crucified one. Your cross is foolishness to the world, a stumbling block to the world. The cross doesn't make sense. And yet it is the power of God that leads to salvation and leads to a new created order. And so, Lord, would you give us a fresh revelation of your love, the depths that you went to take on our sin, the depths that you went to offer forgiveness, the depths that you went to be in relationship with us. And for those of us in this room that have yet to receive that grace, Lord, in the simplest act of saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin, would, you, would your spirit so lead us and convict our hearts and offer us relief that we don't have to bear our own sins, but that you did 2,000 years ago. And so, Lord God, Lord Jesus, we offer ourselves to you, and we offer the rest of this gathering to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen.